This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by our vision group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas, and experience. And just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Naladri Dutta, who is the Global Director, Head of AI Ideation, Data Strategy, and Technical Sales for Managed Service IT and ADM. Naladri, I think I got that right. That's right. Good. Okay. Perfect. That was a, a good start. That was a mouthful, but um, there you go. So um, where we always start in Aladri is by asking our guests to give themselves a, I guess, a brief introduction into their background and I guess journey up until this point, if uh, if you'd be so kind. Right. So thank you, Kyle. It's a pleasure to be part of this podcast uh, and uh, being hosted by you. So uh, I had kind of rather a fascinating journey for the past uh, close to 18 plus years of working in consulting, advisory, product management, innovation, and uh, project delivery across telecom and ICT and tech industries, uh, working in a variety of uh, markets with a variety of customers, predominantly you know, leading or led by telco and telco-led uh, customers across the globe. Um, of course, uh, when you look at this industry, telecom and ICT, it's a very complex industry. Uh, I had the good fortune to work across uh, business, uh, IT, networks, operations, uh, and you know, transformation, as, you, as we all know, is an overused word. And it's, it, I think I had the good fortune to work in transformation project, which is cutting across all of these functions uh, in these different markets, uh, which has given me uh, a kind of a strong experience and expertise in building my capability and knowledge, improving uh, the value of the solutions that I, that I envisage while I develop them for my company. Nice, nice. A, a lot, uh, a lot in there to to digest and address. I'm looking forward to getting into this. I guess before we before we jump into this, obviously, um, I've done on a you know day to day level. I've done quite a lot of work with Ericsson over the years, and I think the thing that surprised me prior to working with Ericsson was that I didn't realize how big Ericsson was. You know, there's so much going on there. So for, for I guess, and I, I believe that most people probably don't realize how big Ericsson is slash are. So uh, just tell us a little bit about Ericsson in terms of, you know, the global capacity and scale. And then I guess where your role sits within the business and, you know, ultimately what you're there to achieve. Sure. I think uh, as a company, we are about uh, 100,000 plus finest people uh, spread across Almost all countries <laughs> within the yeah. within the globe, uh, you know, given the fact that we are a um, hundred and twenty plus year old company, right? So, 
um, it speaks volumes of our capability footprint and the diversity that we bring in as a company. Uh, personally, I think it's a great brand, very well respected across uh, the spectrum within the telecom and ICT industry. Uh, we work across networks uh, and software and IT functions within, within typical telco setup, which essentially means that we work both with both CTOs and CIOs of our customers and, and even COs and CDOs in today's day and age. <clears throat> so um, that obviously uh, brings us to the portfolio of offerings that Ericsson has, and that's where the diversity even uh, uh, amplifies because we have a wide range of products and services that we uh, offer to our customers across the globe. And I think the volume of products and services actually um, magnifies the footprint that Ericsson has as an organization, not sheerly by number of employees, because given the fact a lot of other organizations might have more number of employees, but given the diversity that we bring in, very few companies can match the diversity. And as the tagline goes, we really believe in Imagine Possible. Uh, that's, the, that's the tagline that we have. Uh, as a company, we have three main business units. We have network services, digital services, and managed services. <clears throat> I used to be part of the digital services organization during my first stint with Ericsson when I was in uh, uh, the Middle East and Africa based in Dubai. I was a principal consultant uh, owning and heading the operational transformation consulting. But in my present stint, I work with the managed services practice, uh, sitting in the managed services IT service line uh, and heading uh, AI uh, innovation, ideation, data strategy, and tech sales for the IT and ADM business, for the business area function. And of course, as we know that we have uh, four or five main market areas that we cater to, starting from North America, Latin America, Europe, uh, Middle East, Africa, and uh, India, Oceania, and Asia. So these are the market areas which basically carry the hard PNLs in line with these three main business areas. We also have another business area, which is basically our emerging business function, which is the technology and emerging business, uh, in addition to these three main business units that I have said, which is obviously focused on IoT and Industry 4.0 and the enterprise segment. Yeah. Right. Nice. I think the thing that fascinated me kind of getting under the skin and working with Ericsson a little bit was that I didn't realize at the time, and this may just be my naivety, but um, you know, most telephone operators um, use Ericsson's infrastructure, right? Across the world, you, that's that's the kind of primary, well, one of the primary kind of services that, that you offer. Is that right? That's correct. So yeah. the network uh, division of the network business unit is obviously the major component of our business, which obviously includes the OEM side of things, as well as the network operation side of things. So of course, uh, it's uh, our primary business, uh, which is the equipment sales business, followed by the network software, cloud, IT software, which is solutions, OSS, BSS, uh, followed by the services layer around that. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, you're, you're living in this um, really complex, but very exciting world, right? Around AI, innovation, ideation, coupling that up with digital and data strategy um, and the whole component that comes with that. Obviously, digital transformation as well, especially what's gone on in the world over the last couple of years, right, is, is kind of a, an, an all-time high and on every business's agenda. But I guess um, there's a lot of debate in the industry that I hear from, you know, doing these podcasts, being uh, events and just general 
chit chat, I guess, on platforms like LinkedIn, right? Around a, a debate, I guess, around digital strategy, data strategy, what comes first, what supports what. I'd love to get your take on that, if I may, Naladri. Sure, Kyle. I think uh, one thing which we must understand in this whole, uh, you know, digitalization, digitization journey, which is uh, right now on an overdrive, uh, mm-hmm. and this is a cross-industry phenomena, may, may be very visible in telco, but equally visible in other industries. But to each industry, uh, there is a different connotation of, uh, or rather an implication of this particular transformation uh, when, when it comes to digital. Some may just uh, take into consideration a portal or an app development as digital. Some may look into a complete business transformation as digital. And that is a reflection of the naivety of the business uh, or the maturity of the business models that that are witnessed across industries. Fortunately, I work in an industry where uh, it's not naive, it's extremely complex uh, given the legacy of uh, our customers that mostly uh, uh, they are into the business for more than 50, 60, 70, or even 100 odd years. And therefore, they are battling uh, a perception issue. And uh, telcos of today, they want to be called as service enablers or digital players rather than service providers and connectivity players. Nobody wants to call themselves as a telecom operator any longer. Everybody wants <laughs> to call themselves digital services players. And there's a reason for that. Uh, it's been hard, but they have soon realized that, you know, just to be playing at the connectivity space will not yield uh, the ROI of the investments that they are expecting. And the prime of Asia reason is introduction of digital transformation and the disruptors like the AWSs, uh, the Microsofts and the Googles of the world uh, who have changed the game in a very different uh, way. And in this new paradigm, uh, there is no strategy without digital. So in my view, everything comes top down. So it has to be the business model. And if the business model is driven by digital, we need to understand the new ways of working and define the enablement, or let's say the platform driven business model in in our language, which is understood by our industry. So digital strategy should be uh, enablement strategy. It should be an ecosystem led strategy, which would be largely governed and managed by platforms and solutions. And that's the core of everything. So when you have that strategy chalked out, you create a blueprint around that digital enablement uh, platform, uh, enablement, whatever you want to call it, uh, and then followed by defining a new target operating model. Once we do that, uh, the core IT enterprise architecture then comes in and aligns with this new digital enablement business model. And that's where I would like to iterate or reiterate where most companies go wrong because they tend to take up the IT strategy or the digital IT strategy without aligning the core business strategy. And that shouldn't be the case. I think it's important to understand the platform enabled business model first, create a blueprint of the operating model and then create an end-to-end IT architecture blueprint. Once we have that, then it's far easier to create a very specific data or AI strategy around the IT strategy. So it has to be top down right from your business model to your operating model, to your IT strategy, to your enterprise architecture, and then down to your data strategy. And it should always have two sides of it. It should have a strategic perspective. It should also have a tactical perspective. Given 
the high priority low hanging fruits uh, for you as an organization depending on your priorities as an industry hmm. yeah absolutely that makes perfect sense i mean i always find it fascinating right because we're in this world where um we're constantly now talking about value and ROI on the investments our organizations are making. And that's probably been driven by the fact that there's been or perceived to have been a lot of failure, right, in terms of the value that's been driven out of these type of data and analytics or AI initiatives. Um, and that's led us to to this point where now everything is is quite focused on ROI as it probably, you know, quite rightly they should be, right? Uh, which is which is interesting. So effectively what you're saying there, start with the business strategy, which my point was, it's interesting because that's what we all know that, yet for some reason, not many organizations do that as to your point, right? You know, they often start the other way around in terms of the digital and IT strategy first and then work up towards up towards the business strategy. Why, why do you think that is? Is that just because it's often easier as a starting point or are we just kind of sucked into the, 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 the technology piece? No, I think the, the reality of the situation is the CIOs of all organization function, irrespective of the industry, is perceived as a cost center function, and it's not a profit center function. And therefore, the mm-hmm. priorities of the CIO is to make you know, uh, his or her importance uh, with regards to the directives as received from the business, right? And and in, in that process, somewhere uh, the tactical priorities supersede the strategic priorities. And therefore, people tend to not follow the best practice and you know try to focus on uh, that short-term goal. And what happens is uh, it may work in the short term, but it may not work in the long term because it's not really sustainable because you keep adding changes after changes, modifications after modifications on top of that. Uh, you know, a strategy, which is a data strategy or an IT strategy, uh, irrespective of really uh, knowing how long will it sustain because the business is dynamic, the business is not static. And let's not forget that IT does not drive business, business drives IT. So we must not try to change the grammar uh, or let's say the modus operandi uh, of, of how things should look like. And when you are trying to implement a strategy, of course, you can take a a balanced approach by looking at uh, short-term priorities as well, but they need to align to some kind of a business imperative. Otherwise, you know, simply by aligning uh, for the sake of aligning because others are doing and because the industry is needing, will not fetch you the exact benefits as expected. Uh, as a simple example, if I may uh, talk of uh, digitalization, uh, in most industries today, people are going with an e-commerce platform without realizing how much that platform is really adding business value. There is an investment, there is a cost, and there is obviously uh, a maintenance attached to that particular platform, right? Now, not all businesses, uh, of course, most businesses today would love to have a marketplace or an e-commerce platform kind of a construct but not all businesses would actually get affected by an e-commerce or a marketplace kind of a platform. There is still people-to-people contact, people-to-people word of mouth, which plays a significant role, right? Um, for example, the wholesale side of business, right? The B2B side of business, well, a website might play a better role, but not necessarily a portal. On the other side, if you're looking at a B2C kind of a construct, which is really uh, led by 
consumer driven, which is also telecom and primarily retail or even the consumer space, right? Or even the white goods industry. That's where I think e-commerce or marketplace have, have a much major role to play. So the fact of the matter is, if you're investing in solutions, platforms, mobile apps, that's not always digital because you, if you're doing it for the requirement of business, yes, uh, it is digital. But if you're doing it for the sake of doing it because others are doing it, it's not really uh, digital. The advantage which some of the companies like Uber, eBay, uh, you know, Klarna in Sweden, for example, or Spotify, uh, they have they have started as a digital company without any legacy of physical infrastructure, right? Uh, one needs to understand the legacy behind and the kind of investments that have already happened, which you can't undo. It's like whatever I've spoken, I can't take it back kind of a thing. So we need to be cognizant of the fact at the same time, take a very pragmatic view and take a long-term sustained view. I think because of too much continued pressure on the CIO, CDO organizations in today's day and age, uh, people are uh, becoming more tactical because they want to have a tick in the box kind of a thing for uh, you know complying to a particular technology, but that's not necessarily the right strategy. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that applies across the across the spectrum, right? You know, that's this, the same in the world of, you know, pure data analytics and artificial intelligence. And, you know, we, we see a lot of that happen, right? Where businesses go on this journey because there's an obligation, there's a peer pressure to be seen, to be heard, to be, you know, seen to be doing this type of stuff and feeling like if we're not, then we're going to get left behind. And obviously, you know, that that's driven the wrong way around, right? Because if it's not advantageous and valuable to the business, then it's not the right thing to do. I think the the legacy thing obviously plays a really big part in this, right? Because I guess, you know, the traditional banking system is probably a great example, right? You know, there's all these organizations popped up uh, around the world, you know, here in, you know, the, the Starling banks and the Monzos, for example, here in the UK, where um, all the revolutes, right, out in, in, in Europe, where, you know, the the speed by which they can service their customers is unbelievable in comparison to your traditional bank, right? You know, so I remember when I, when I uh, signed up for the business account here with Starling, I think in 20 minutes, I was, I was done, right? It was all done on an app, you know, took a picture, a video, done, card through the post a day later or whatever the case may be. I tried to get a, a new debit card from, <laughs> from our traditional bank here in the UK and it takes... A week, um, I get a letter through the post. I've got to sign for it and send it back. And then another week later, I get my card. And it's kind of just like the the operating models by which these businesses work is just so far apart. But there's obviously a reason for that. And I think obviously that comes down to legacy processes and systems. And as you said, things that have been implemented and paid for that it's you know easier said than done to just undo, right? Right. And also, Kyle, one important aspect you need to you give the banking example, which is where a classic case, you know, it's an industry which can see Gen X, Gen Y and Gen Z people. So I think the Gen Z's would obviously prefer not to ever reach a bank, uh, you know, <laughs> for them yeah. the bank is through the app itself. But if you look at the Gen X people or even prior to Gen X people, you know, who are in 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 their late 60s, early 70s, they still prefer that kind of a people to people connect. Um uh, they don't want to be necessarily driven by uh, everything through an app. 
uh, they still prefer the human touch and i think it's important to acknowledge both sets of customers because both are valuable to the bank as an enterprise right mm-hmm. uh, yeah of course the transformation and uh, is happening and happening thick and fast so people are now upgrading to the new ways of working uh, you know and that's where i said i think physically digital is the new mantra so you will always have a digital world so you are half physical half digital i think that's the new mantra <laughs> going forward some of the some of the new business especially in diverse markets like india south asia in the middle east uh, you will always have a physical plus a digital connect it will not be fully digital it will never be fully digital that's also to do with the cultural construct in these territories yeah yeah absolutely makes uh, makes sense i know that when we spoke offline one of the things that really intrigued me was you know you, you talked a lot around an organization's dna right and how the operating model needs to fit with that and it all needs to align and it needs to be the right thing etc cetera, etc cetera. so i guess how does kind of in your world data strategy support that digital transformation in terms of the organization's dna if that makes sense right so i think it's a very interesting question kyle so you know as i said that there is no strategy without digital and there is no digital without data so that's what i truly believe in so uh if you look at digital primarily digital to in today's day and age is is largely cloudification you know application uh, modernization uh and data ai and automation and then that is these are the prime of asia investments if i may say so in the digital space uh, given the fact uh whatever agenda is is uh, in in the minds uh of a cio or a cdo right now to your perspective uh, which you just asked me that you know um i believe that without data or without you know proper usage or uh, culmination of intelligence extraction from the data uh, there is no objectivity in terms of arriving at specific decision points because every organization is tending to be data driven and data driven does not necessarily mean data driven in just decision making data driven in its business data driven in its overall operations and the operating model is nothing but a blueprint which is a, a reference point for you to look at your operations holistically which obviously includes people process technology infrastructure dimension sourcing alliance customer centricity and all of it right and each organization will have a driver for the operating model for me the driver can be operational efficiency for somebody else it can be customer centricity for somebody it can be simply you know go to market and revenue maximization depending on you know what's the mood strategy that the organization adopts and that's where it's fundamental that the operating model must align with the overall business model the data strategy while you realize the operating model within your it dimension right or within your technology dimension you would obviously have a set of applications and infrastructure our imperative is to ensure that whatever data is getting generated extracted you know or uh, consumed in that whole ecosystem within application infra uh, within the tech layer uh, is getting properly channelized that's the prime of asia agenda of data strategy i mean a lot of people talk about you know uh, imbibing new technologies for me if you already have an existing system uh, in place which is actually helping you to create objectivity within your data you don't need to invest further in technology you perhaps need to relook at it, at the utilization matrix in terms of the data platform and the ai platform that 
potentially you have. I can give you examples of customers that I work with who have all the best technologies, but they hardly use 20% of it. So it is always looking at how do you reuse what you have within the overall data uh, AI landscape, which is obviously a part of the overall IT landscape, right? So you, you might have a fancy uh, visualization tool, you might have a fancy automation platform, you might have a fancy ETL platform or a ELT platform, you might also have a fancy lake, data lake, hosted on cloud. But are you properly utilizing all aspects of it to it through its full potential? There's no point in, you know, just incorporating technology after technology without really using its full potential and capability. And that's what I believe in. So large part of the data strategy obviously needs to align with the driver of the operating model. A large part of the data strategy also needs need to look at into the data enablement part of it, right? And when you look at data enablement, that's where you bring in your automation and AI. It's not always the case that every problem would be solved by AI or automation, but the enablement of data should be the key driver. That's what is going to make you data-driven because data-driven is basically taking objective decisions enabled and empowered by data. To me, that's data-driven. Mm. And it is at every stakeholder level, right from the top to the user or the analyst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. So um, I don't know. You, you know, we talked about data-driven, right? And and obviously, there's a lot of people out there that um, very disappointingly for me, after I labeled the podcast driven by data told me that they didn't like that data-driven concepts and it should be data enabled or <laughs> or data led or whatever the case may be but i know you you spoke previously about kind of rule driven decision making right and i think it's important that we we understand that because ultimately there's a lot of talk and we talk a lot about data and we talk a lot about the the the, the platforms and the technologies that allow us to utilize data but ultimately beneath all of that we're trying to get to a point of allowing our businesses to ultimately ultimately make better decisions, right? That's that's the whole purpose behind this, to become better businesses, right? Whether that's, you know, reducing costs or improving revenues or new products or, you know, mitigating risk or whatever the case may be. Talk, talk us through that concept of kind of rule-driven decision-making and I guess how you get to that point where that becomes a success. Absolutely. So I think uh, my, uh, um, you know, idea of rule-driven de- decision-making is, predominantly applicable in operational transformation and operational strategy in large uh, uh, managed services led contracts you know uh, not necessarily applicable for uh, digital implementation or implementation of maybe bi solutions uh, most of the uh, data platforms or solutions that you see today they are focused towards the business stakeholders cfo cbo cmo chief sales especially in the telco world uh, there is very little use of the same platform and extension uh, or rather extending the usage of the same platform within the uh, CIO organization from an operational standpoint. It's always implementation that that uh, supersedes. That's nothing wrong because that's the that's the way people have been doing BI for last 30 years, 20, 20, 30 years. Right. But, you know, for me, the rule-driven decision-making is particularly applicable in the context of operational intelligence or operational analytics. And I think that's where uh, organizations uh, must relook into, you know, especially when you talk of uh, smart operations, right? How do you want to make your network operations smart or your IT operations smart? You can only do it in three ways. You can only do it by 
introducing uh, automation uh, through RPA, RPA, which is a very common standard practice, which you do at the SOP level, standard operating procedures level. Um, you can obviously do it uh, through uh, AI uh, by bringing in cognitive uh, intelligence uh, through supervised and unsupervised learning uh, by deploying certain uh, statistical models on top of uh, certain uh, data points that you want to forecast and, and predict and ensure that the system learns from it and self-learns it and does not repeat the same mistake. But most essentially, the superset is around data itself, which is analytics, because uh, I truly believe that uh, AI is a part of data. Data is not a part of AI. So uh, I think data analytics is the father, uh, which, which is basically uh, looking into both cognitive and non-cognitive aspects. And I think AI is really focusing on the cognitive layer. And people do talk a lot on cognitive because that's kind of cool. Um, Rule-driven decision-making is really looking into uh, data and analytics holistically, uh, whether it is uh, uh, non-cognitive or cognitive irrespective. And that's primarily looking at, uh, you know, managing processes which are being outsourced when you typically get into a build, operate, transfer kind of a model and you outsource a particular process and you transition out and you run it from your premises and you have a typical help desk or um, let's say a large operational support function which is running across your level one, level two, and level three. How does uh, that particular core business process that you are uh, outsourcing is in collaboration or in sync with certain data that is getting generated out of that process itself, which obviously is managed through that application that uh, that is being outsourced. So for example, if you're managing a contact center, and there are multiple applications within the contact center and you're basically providing an application support of that particular contact center application there are certain data uh, or critical data that gets generated within that application layer itself so for me uh, that application is nothing but a set of uh, processes which are getting automated through that application having a set specific set of rules and rule driven decision making is essentially looking at uh, data quality parameters or rather data efficiency parameters which are driving the efficacy and efficiency of that business rule itself. So it's basically integrating your process and data together, bringing process data together in a common construct and enabling operations in a much more smarter way where process and data can work together at tandem and arrive at an inferential decision making for that particular analyst who's basically trying to resolve an operational issue. Hmm. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. I guess what, um, when you get, so you get to that point then, right? Obviously, I think everything we're talking about here kind of ties back in some way to achieving operational excellence, right? Great. So what, what, what are, what are in your mind, the key components to kind of, you know, if, if, if you were to think about this holistically and give advice to people that are, you know, in the midst of this journey, let's say, what, what are the key components in achieving operational excellence within that kind of, you know, sphere of digital transformation, as it were? I think the prima facie importance is to ensure that whatever performance KPIs you're managing, they are affecting some kind of a business uh, uh, indicator or a business KPI as well, because uh, largely in operations, we are, tend, we, we are too tactical sometimes and we tend to focus too much on our operational KPI without you know keeping in mind that how many of these operational KPIs 
are actually affecting some kind of a business indicator uh, for for the CXO balance scorecard. I think that's very important. And and in between uh, the operational layer and the business layer, obviously you have the service layer as well. So uh, where your SLAs and OLAs are getting constructed, where your customer centricity and service quality is getting constructed. So a large part of these uh, uh, data that we are trying to capture and make and ensure that they are uh, getting reoriented or redirected the right way to ensure uh, process data synergy is happening and and it's directing the rule in the right way uh, that it should uh, the 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 integrity of that will be maintained once it, it it is in sync with with the service kpi or the or the operational kpi at the lowest level but most importantly uh, when you talk of transformation it has to impact uh, a, a particular business matrix at the top right that can be a cost matrix or that can be a revenue matrix it doesn't matter so for example if efficiency is a cost matrix and uh, i have a bunch of 50 operational level kpis which i'm managing in my operations i must ensure that whatever i'm managing there are critical data points which i'm capturing in my operations which is basically helping in better management of those maybe 50 operational kpis which are cumulative cumulatively uh, rolling up to maybe 10 or 15 service KPIs, which eventually rolls up to maybe one cost or one profit or one revenue related KPI for the business. That's very, very significant. And that is really achieving true data-driven operations because you have data inflection points within your operation which are impacting your business parameters, which is eventually helping the CXO in decision-making. So to simplify it, if I have to give you an example, so if I am turning uh, around, uh, if my turnaround time, or if I'm if I'm if I'm basically turning around a particular customer order or maybe a service request in X time, and I introduce automation and I reduce that X uh, time uh, by fifty percent, there is an efficiency play in big play here, right? Which is impacting my customer SLAs at a service level and therefore impacting my CSAT scores at a business KPI level, right? So that's exactly a a classic example of how these services are getting Im uh, impacted right across the spectrum from top down to your business performance uh, KPIs to your service level KPIs to your operational KPIs. Mm, yeah, that makes uh, that makes perfect sense. So obviously, you spoke earlier around you know there is no digital strategy without data, right? But yeah, we're, we're on this journey of every business now you know the, the 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 transformation of their dna right from trying to move into being a more digital or digitally native business shall we say um is happening what what role is data and ai playing through that through that journey i think uh, a major role is creating value differentiation uh, that's the that's a simplistic answer so uh, whether you talk of uh, any digital customer lifecycle, you want to provide a, a particular service or a particular product to a customer, ensure that it's available at your fingertips, you definitely need data. You definitely need the critical data point which drives the cross-sell upsell of those products and services. You talk of you know uh, omni-channel experience, uh, uh, exact quality of service across levels. Uh, those are obviously met only uh, possible if you have the right set of data available which would be driving those kind of SLAs and OLAs going forward. You talk of uh, operational excellence, the way you're delivering your large-scale operations 
and you're meeting your SKPIs and OKPIs and BKPIs, which, which I said earlier, you definitely need data at your fingertips uh, with, you, with right from your uh, operational analyst to your service delivery managers to your you know chief of operations who would be knowing and having a complete transparent visibility of that. You talk of uh, you know um, uh, integrating your front office to your back office solutions in any industry. I mean, you look at front office being the customer facing and the back office being you know the the billing financial settlements. Um, you, you talk of integrating front office and back office together. You definitely need uh, a data and AI to ensure that that integration is uh, is happening at the right level and the integrity of the data is maintained at the right level. More importantly, right? So you definitely need data and AI. And more importantly, you know uh, there needs to be a balance of you know detection, prediction, and uh, closure, irrespective of whether it is. Uh, with a business stakeholder or with an operational stakeholder, right? So you need to detect certain anomalies or you know variations or exceptions. You need to predict certain anomalies, variations, and exceptions, and you need to close out certain anomalies. All of this is only possible if your data and AI and automation works in collaboration with one another. So if you are a true digital DNA organization, you would need all of this to sustain your operations and to maintain your business, both aspects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot here, then, Naladrit. How how many businesses that you work with cl who claim to be, you know, digitally DNA inclined, let's call it that, have have all of this stuff that you've just said? Or you know, back to your earlier point, is it more that that's just the buzzword and that's what people like to call themselves? So uh, in my industry, where I work with, uh, it's it's in a kind of, kind of a transition mode. It's kind of in also in a coexistence mode because telcos have heavily invested in the infrastructure side of business, which they can't roll back because that that's kind of a capex which has gone into, you know, um, investing in the whole network infrastructure, in the fiber, and all of that. Uh, you can't roll it back because you have obviously started off uh, as a network services company and you were providing connectivity services and then you moved on to uh, from voice you moved on to data with sms and now it's predominantly data only and voice has yep. taken a backseat more importantly you were a consumer-led business not an enterprise-led business now if you look at a classic telecom tier one split uh, still 70 30 is uh, b2c versus b2b uh, ratio which means it's still very consumer-led business that's changing. That's changing. And in the next two to three years, believe you me, it's going to be 60, 40, or even 50, 50 in most markets, which means that telcos are predominantly focusing on enterprise. And that's going to happen with whole this whole digital ecosystem coming into play with 5G and, and, and the focus on enterprise with 5G. So telcos would be partnering with tech companies. Telcos would be competing with tech companies and telcos would be selling with tech companies. So that's going to happen and that's going to be a massive transition that's that's uh, going to be witnessed and with the rollout of 5g a large part of industry 4.0 which you and me are just envisaging now would be heavily heavily commoditized and once that is commoditized you know telcos would be leaping in a lot of money having said that you know uh, most operators they are trying to be digital players and not yet digital players so they don't want to call themselves telcos but what I call as DSPs, digital service providers, they are still not there in the DSP journey. 
they are transitioning from being a communication service provider to a digital service provider, but they are yet not there. And that's predominantly because they're battling this legacy. And that's why they have to have this coexistence where you would have a 1.0 version catering to a legacy and a 2.0 version, which is having a new next generation digital set of products coexist. But the fun part here is the same CIO and the same CEO and the same CTO is going to manage both. And that's the challenge. Hmm. So from a CIO construct, he needs one unified system, a one CRM system or a one ERP system or a one billing system or a one point of sale system kind of a thing, which more often than not is a wish list because the kind of digital products that you are trying to sell and market is primarily targeted towards your B2B and not towards B2C. That's the difference. And in the legacy, you have both B2C and B2B where it is still very connectivity led and consumer led, which you can't ignore. And you talk to anybody uh, with regards to 5G, they'll say, okay, what differential that it brings to the table apart from speed or apart from you know ultra low latency. The fact of the matter is that's a very consumer centric view. That's not an enterprise centric view. The moment you bring up the B2B ecosystem into play, it becomes a completely different game where you are partnering with a telecom operator to sell to a bank, to a retail company, to a healthcare provider, or to any other industry. So that the, the whole ecosystem is changing because you're rolling out massive IoT-related use cases for industries which were never thought of earlier. So telcos would not have sold to a healthcare company applications and services earlier, but now they are able to. They would have only sold connectivity services earlier, but now they're thinking of selling applications. And that's where they want to collaborate with not just the hyperscalers, but with all tech kind of companies. Mm. That's really fascinating. So yeah, my, my final question was going to be about what the future of telco looks like, which obviously you've you've addressed there. So that that what you're saying is that that balance is from a telco perspective, the balance is shifting away from being primarily consumer-led to being more uh, enterprise and business to business led through partnering with other businesses to tell to sell more you know, application solutions, whatever the case may be, onto into other industries. That's really interesting. Mm. Yeah, that's not just for telcos. I think that's for all legacy industries uh, that 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 this uh, seeming change will happen. However, in telco world, it's going to be uh, sooner than later because it's a matter of survival for telcos. And in any telecom player, if you look at the uh, CapEx uh, versus OpEx, or let's say if I want to call it cost per GB kind of a ratio, um, you know, uh, the kind of network uh, CapEx OpEx spend that they have and the kind of ROI that they're realizing, it's still not looking very good. The reason for that is the kind of investments that you do in realizing and laying out a particular network uh, is, is far, far higher. And when we talk of network, it's not just uh, the core here. It's also the access network I'm talking of, also the transport network that I'm talking of, which which, which, is, which is significant. And therefore, one needs to bear in mind that while you are, uh, you know, rolling this out and you're trying to, you know, have faster ROIs, the only possibility of faster ROI is productization of the network. And productization of the network can only happen if you're rolling out applications and services on top of it. So that's the challenge that telcos are living with today. If you have only applications and services for consumers, you end up with just an incremental ARPU, which is not solving the purpose. You need a bulk ARPU where you need to sell in bulk. And that can only happen when you have an enterprise-wide strategy 
where your enterprise is your customer and you're not just selling connectivity, but you're selling a whole host of applications and services apart from connectivity. And I think uh, in, in, in days to come, telcos would start adopting this. Of course, 5G is going to be a massive driver for it because most of these use cases that you envisage in industry 4.0 and, and in, in the IoT space is going to be driven by uh, the, the service quality and the service experience. So, you know, uh, we talk of complex service orchestration as well. Uh, I don't want to get too technical here, but I'm just going to say that, you know, it's not easy when you have a hybrid environment with half things on the cloud and half things on-prem. So one needs to bear in mind that security and, and, and privacy also will play a major factor. Despite that, telcos will go all out to drive this whole enterprise business because that's the only mode of survival for them. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Where does last question then elaborate? Where does the 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 kind of talking point around data monetization sit within all of this in terms of the future of, you know, I, I guess, you know, we're talking telco here, but as you said, this is kind of applicable across multiple industries. Yeah. Um, it's just more pressing for telcos, I guess. But you know, there's a lot of talk in the industry right about trying to put tangible numbers on ROI of our data analytics initiatives. This sounds, you know, I guess as soon as you move into the the kind of digital space on this journey, does it become a little bit more transparent, shall we say, around how you kind of, you know, you're monetizing your data initiatives? So data monetization is, is kind of a strategy where you're going and selling data. So, you know, uh, largely uh, monetizing data for telcos, and especially for ICT players will be a bit of a challenge uh, to start with because of regulatory obligations. So you need to basically synthesize and anonymize the data and make it extremely federated at the same time to yeah. sell it, right? And uh, it's not just external um, monetization. Telcos are also looking at internal monetization in terms of saving OPEX and streamlining data from various sources because the data is so fragmented because you have networks, IT, and operations, which is generating tons and tons of data. And there is not a surprise that two industries, which has which ha have the highest uh, generation of data is one is obviously telecoms and the other is automobile, right? And both these industries are looking to, it's not banking and financial services, by the way. And both these industries, uh, that's, 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 a, that's, that's a number two. Uh, and both these industries are, are, are trying to monetize the data heavily. Now, Monetization of data can, can, as I said, can happen in two different ways. It can obviously be an internal monetization where you're basically doing an ETL or an ELT to streamline and anonymize and synthesize the data for um, making it ready for consumption. And the other is where you're going and actually selling data. Uh, with 5G, telcos would obviously look to sell data more, right? So whether it comes to supply chain part of uh, uh, side of things or procurement side of things, when it comes to marketing side of things, when it comes to sales side of things, there would be an active uh, investment uh, going in where data would act as a revenue stream for, for the telco as an operator. Having said that in other industries, if you look at it, especially in banking and financial services, uh, in healthcare, in retail, uh, data monetization is already there. It's there in bits and pieces. It's not just formulated as a, as a policy or as a differential offering from that particular segment of customer. Um, I believe that with this whole ecosystem play, data monetization will not be a buzzword any longer. It will be a, uh, an offering, may not be commoditized, may still sell at a premium, 
there are players in the market who are uh, profiling your information faster than uh, others and who are basically selling this data at a premium but it depends on the contextual nature of the data on what you're buying for example in supply chain uh, data uh, that's relevant for people who want to know your vendors whereas uh, your R&D data is mainly for researchers and R&D companies who are investing in the core chip so it depends uh, on what kind of data you're contextualizing and you're willing to sell as part of the monetization strategy but definitely data monetization is upcoming it is here to stay and with 5G and enterprise this is going to uh, you know go uh, overboard uh, and surely it will be a part of a core strategy when it comes to uh, launching of new age digital products. So data will be a product to consume and sell. Nice. Well, no, Adri, look, thank you. Uh, thank you ever so much for, for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I'm conscious of your time. You're probably getting hungry. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll let you go. But thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a, an insightful conversation and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. It's been a pleasure, Kyle. Thank you very much uh, for the opportunity. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.